プロパガンダとは何かそれは今戦う人民が真の言葉で戦いの真の意味を語ることだと定義できるしかしそれは誰に向かっていかに語られるのかこんばんは Right where we left off, I'm still here with Grant and we are still talking about Yellow Magic Orchestra. You can listen to the first episode from last week、um, so you can get the entire picture of the artistic scope of Ryuchi Sakamoto. Oh, I just said his name in English order and now I can't uncommit from that. In any case, we're here.、Uh, it's been about a half hour because we were exporting audio files, so we got a nice little break, right? I think it's about an hour to the minute. I think exactly you told me to email it to you at 10 11,、uh, 42 a.m., and now it's 11 42. It took an hour? Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I was like fiddling on the piano and stuff. And, like, it was I called my mom. I heard that.、That's... Yeah, she was like, I sent you $150 so you can pay back your boyfriend for the money you used to borrow for moving to Tokyo. I was like, thank you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Um, YMO album. And, and are you about to talk about your first? My number one favorite by a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you didn't get into the episode already, that's、uh, your problem because, as I have said multiple times over, the correct way to listen to this podcast is in order. So if you fuck up and miss something, that's your problem. So now we're talking about Technodelic. Yes. It's. So these were both, both. So the first three albums were like a, were like elevator music parody. Be- like amazing, transcendently beautiful elevator music parody, but that's kind of the intention.、Mm-hmm. And then now we have a pivot towards the introspective and like more experiment. It's like they can now do what they want because they have the platform. Right.、Um, well, because BGM is like the big. Switch、it's、like huge... BGM is the moment where, like, there's still a lot of the familiar elements, like, a lot of the sounds are the same, but from that record onward, the tone of YMO music is quite different, yes. And it's it's much more interesting, it's not and it's not as as political. Um, BGM is not as political, Technodelic is quite political from from a different it's like an introspectively political thing. Um,、mm. the thing, so if The first three albums were a parody of the American perception of the East. And what, what did you call it? You called it the Vietnam melting? Vietnam melt? Which I thought was really funny. Like, <laughs> I did go off about that. We were talking、yes. about the melting、uh, geological problem of Asia, I suppose. And like everybody, just like all of, the, the, all of the cultures get kind of mixed together in like a weird aesthetic jumble in the American、uh, popular mind. Yeah, meanwhile,、um, Technodelic,、um, which is also from 1981, same year they did BGM, is perhaps the most specifically and like, locally Asian album in their entire career because they are doing. Oh, 
God damn it. I fucking wrote this shit down in a notebook so I wouldn't forget it because I knew I would when I'm drunk. And now I'm surrounded by... Oh, I found it. I'm surrounded <laughs> by, like, cans of alcohol. Yeah. And um, this is, like, searching for my book. But <laughs> what I was looking for, what I wrote down specifically to reference, is that, like, they um, use a sampler machine, yes. which is a, a pretty big innovation for pop music. But what they choose to sample is also still really innovative, too, because they're doing mostly, like indonesian chanting and breathing sounds um what i can only assume is like car crashes there's Um, a there's a word i wrote down that i now cannot read because when i write down k it looks like toe in japanese so it looks like kikak which kind of sounds racist to to say show it to me over the camera are you too embarrassed well i mean it's uh probably reversed isn't it where is it it's somewhere in there oh that's funny Okay. Those are just the song it's... titles. No, that's not correct. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it says sampling, and then there's a little arrow, and it says Indonesian oh. kiak. Oh, it is, it is like, it's kikak, I think. Okay, well, that's what it's it is. Okay, when and you <laughs> said when you said you write K, I thought you meant K, like K. Oh, that would make sense. And I was like, yeah. K looks like toe. That's interesting. All right. Um, I mean, that would be disturbing. But right. no, my 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 literal <laughs> K, like the the Romaji K, looks like toe in my Japanese or my English writing, I suppose. Oh, okay, I get it. Okay, I get it. So right. yeah, it, I mean, this is a very YMO conversation to have about confusing a Romaji letter for a Japanese one. But yes. they have um, Indonesian K kak kayak. Yes. Something like that. Something I've never heard of before. Uh, a, a sort of chanting. And it's then they shin, do like Gamalian. Also something I hadn't heard of until I did research for this. Yes. It's extremely, there's a lot of Southeast Asian like tribal. It's very percussive. It's not mm-hmm. nearly as, it's melodic still, but it's not nearly as um, symphonic in the same way. It's very, right. like, I, I don't want to say minimal because it's still extremely complicated because everything they ever put out was, like, really complex musically. But it's much more percussive. It's more rhythm-based. Mm-hmm. My- well, something that's interesting mm-hmm. is that, you know, Sakamoto had been studying world music and, like, indigenous music specifically, like, when he was um, uh, an academic student of sorts. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time that that ever really becomes, like, quite crystalline in the YMO discography. Mm -hmm. And it's especially... I keep bringing up album artworks in comparison with the music. So maybe that's just the way I consume music. But um, Well, this one has two covers. Right. This has two covers. And the popular reissue cover, which is the one I think most people know it by, is a uh, peasant Chinese woman during the cultural revolution and then the other one is a kind of like warhol styled polaroids both of them work for me but i like the the communist lady more yeah i it's definitely like follows in like the maoist thing i do love your tying of maoist like mao aesthetics into Mm -hmm. this because i know you've recently been like into it not not recently but like you've been like very vocally like manifesting Maoist aesthetics. Right. Um, well, I mean, in the last 24 hours, I I asked for a recommendation about Chinese history. And then, uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know where that came from. But I, I have read uh, quite a bit of 
um, literary writing from Mao. And in the same way that YMO pulls on cultural impulses, I think he kind of has like the same bravado. So they, they have a similar tenor to me. Um, I think that's probably more deliberate on YMO's part than Mao's, obviously. But um, no, I, I, I am totally interested in, I, I mean, I had kind of like run out of things to read about like leftist Japanese organizations and the yeah. fascists are, are quite boring here. So I was like, okay, got to move to the next Asian country. Yeah. Yeah. The next leftist country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Um, my favorite thing about Technodelic or one of, one of the many, fa- I love this album a lot. Um, like Me if, too. if, if why, if IMO had made one album and I had to pick only one could exist on planet earth, it would be Technodelic. Um, so it's like out of context it's my favorite like if if the body of work didn't exist in one i would just enjoy for what it is alone it's this one Um, right i love how it opens literally with the line this must be the ugliest piece of bread i've ever eaten and that's just this must be the ugliest (laughs) piece of bread i've ever eaten this must be the ugliest ugliest piece of bread i've I've ever eaten eaten. and that's not going to make sense until people actually sit down and listen to it but um i think we did a good job there actually um, no, I think that was quite perfect. And then it starts with that like it's just like it's a it's like a groove album. It's like I think if when people talk about their influencing like later acid house music and house music and stuff, this one would be it. Um I mean, well let's put into context. This is one of the first pop records ever to use a sampler, sampler like at all then it was it was a custom sampler made by somebody they knew and there were like two copies that existed ever and they're both broken so you can't actually play the masters of the rhythm yeah which is or like something. a common problem with ymo music because you also can't like really play the masters of bgm either so I, really, I like the um it's the same thing with like the the video like none of their video content was pre- was um uh, preserved very well. They just very obviously didn't care about the legacy of their own music. That it, they didn't care about it existing for posterity. Like Sakamoto in interviews has said, he doesn't care if people remember who he is. Like he doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him because even if no, even if no one remembers who Yellow Magic Orchestra is, the legacy still exists tangibly. So well, he, I mean that's like the. Im- really powerful thing about YMO is that like even completely detached from the absolute ego dance of the three members like yeah. those melodies like we touched on in the first part of this uh, episode is you know they nail into your head they'll never leave you so this band kind of transcends ego in that way which is especially fascinating for Technodelic because this record is um a lot of sounds that are just repeated over and over again for three minutes and yet nonetheless they it's variation it's variations power. on a groove is what it is it's like that's i think but that's something i really enjoy and that's something like new order did that a lot in their music especially earlier on they it's just like a groove for nine minutes and it varies on itself but it's really just supposed to sound good and be like danceable and i think this right. is their attempt at that while still maintaining every ounce of dripping ymo chemistry yeah and i mean like bgm is like one of their like darkest records by far Mm. and it ends on a note that like seems like somewhat like sublime or like reaching for faith but like the first half of this album is completely black yes this is this is when you talk when you talk about 
or not you, anyone talks about the dystopian quality of YMO's music, I think this album, this is literally like pop music from hell. Like, like Shimbuyo, the what's the, the Noya Tanz, is mm-hmm. literally like that's hellish pop music. It's pop music that isn't pop at all. Oh, for sure. And I mean, like, um, Kaidan or Stairs is, like, probably the most accessible song from the whole record. And it still it's sounds such like, an, like someone is, really like, bl- bashing your head in with something in hell. So this thing... Sounds like the Army of Me thing, like Bjork. Bjork did the same yeah. kind of thing, which is weird. Like when I heard it the first time, I was like, that literally sounds like a Bjork riff. It sounds like there is this Army of Me energy where it's just that one line and percussion of people singing on it. No, for real. I mean, um, throughout YMO's like career, I've been like getting like touches of of Bjork, and one of the things I thought of the most actually was like when I was listening to Technodelic, it sounded a lot to me like, um, that oh god damn it, I'm too drunk to remember all these album names off the top of my head. When she was doing the vocal uh, Medulla, when yeah, yeah, Medulla yeah. is is quite close to this, don't you think? Yeah, I can see that a lot. I I mean, it it would seem overly coincidental to me for Bjork to never have listened to YMO in Oh, she absolutely like, has. No and I mean, way she hasn't. Yeah. Even if she like was or wasn't like directly like directly referencing them. It's the fact is is that like sampling hadn't been really done before. And the way it was done here was like these like guttural Indonesian no like oh, moans yeah. of people In going the, like the Noya uh, uh, uh. And like that ultimately yeah. like in some way or another, was like, able to like re-manifest into Bjork, who did a really beautiful job with it, with Medulla, of course. But in this like really like uncommented on state, when it arrives here, it's like especially terrifying. Because that's the, the in Shinbuyo, I keep calling it that because I'm reading the Japanese off the screen, but I'm um, Noya Tans that dance, Noya Tans, the weird vote. That's the only vocal on the song aside from you know how there's that it's that really. I think it's a prepared piano, I think is what they call it, where they, like, rig the strings up to sound a certain well, way. Yeah, when they, sh- when they shove shit up in there. Yes, because the, the piano riff is horrific. It's totally dissonant and totally not good and wrong sounding. And you're it's, like, creepy and weird. And then they bring that in that, like, and it's, like, going back and forth to right and left, and it sounds like hell demons are circling you as you walk through the valley of death kind of thing and you're like Mm -hmm. running away it's like it's extremely nihilistic i know i called the last one nihilistic this album is like this is by far their like most bleak (laughs) record like without a doubt and this is why like i um i like barely even like realized it was an album when i like first started getting into them is because nobody talks about it because like really the only song that like I think um, it was their kind worst of like endured in their career was like uh, Kaidan. Yeah. Stairs. Yeah. Well, that's it's such a significant song. It does not sound like anything that. Can... No. Um. And you know, I I love Silent Hill, especially like the Silent Hill soundtrack mm-hmm. with the uh, Yamaoka and yeah. Akira, who mm-hmm. does like all of his stuff is basically like bleaker riffs on what they do here. Yes, it's totally. Um, I would. 
because the again the people the couple people that I know that enjoy it this is one of their favorites. I feel like people who really know YMO this is one of the best albums. Mm-hmm. Like it's hand down just like musically one of the best albums if not the best. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, to bring it back to like Bjork, it's it's like very much like they're homogenic. It's like when they like really like are still in their realm of being able to embrace you know pop music, but doing it in a way that is like really distinctly. Mm-hmm industrial and frightening yes this is and, like it's like the it's like this the other half of bgm it's almost like they were i would imagine they were written at the same time yeah and, i mean they probably were because i mean it was like what um technodelic was recorded in two months march and well, they, bgm like, finished... was recorded in like a month and a half in like january yeah they, they finished bgm in like january so like these these two records are like literally only months apart so of yeah. course they sound similar and you know the sampler being introduces like the the big change between them and yet the you could shuffle a few of these songs into bgm or vice versa and it would make absolute sense yeah it's this one like if you were to listen to solid state survivor and this one side by side you wouldn't really know where the change happened but between bgm and the previous albums it's kind of a bridge because they were still doing a lot of the like riffy synth thing that really kind of is not present to the same degree in the first is, half, you know another the second uh, half testament, is, um, yeah well, i was just gonna say it's another testament to like their cohesion as a unit because like takahashi like the pop queen of the group is like still doing like jamu at the like at the very beginning of the he wrote, record he wrote like, still like super unsettling and yeah yeah talk- he did kaidon too <laughs> i know it's like it's because Hosono and Sakamoto are obviously the most two successful as a solo artists for different, like, Hosono is like a singer-songwriter and Sakamoto is like a composer, experimental musician, um, composer. Um, Takahashi has chops. Like, well, I mean, I, his solo career is my personal favorite out of all of them because, like, uh, um... Is he in Meta 5? Is that his band currently? Um, I don't now. know what he's up to now. Just, like, his, like, personal career, like, in the 80s, like... I um I like a lot of like Sakamoto's stuff that he's done individually, but I don't return to it very often. Mm-hmm. But I I love my my fucking I love my Takahashi <laughs> records. Like Extremely I listen to like uh, what me worry like all the time. Mm-hmm. It, mainly because of his charisma, because it's yes, like the perfect the, record to have on your house. One. He's the like charismatic one. Hosono I think is too aloof and doesn't care enough to be yeah I, and i i think that i'm just like kind of like characteristically like misaligned with his taste yes totally he's kind of i want to say dumpy is i think his taste yeah, he's is a little, little dumpy jazzy you know yeah, what i mean he's, yeah i think I'm, like, he, he, i think he is a, a great purveyor of jazz music but i don't care that much and i have trauma memories of uh my jazz teacher yelling at me and throwing a trumpet at me oh so God. i'll never love jazz yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I think I definitely am, like, in the Sakamoto, like, silent elegance camp is kind of what I like. I'm not saying I'm silent or elegant. Well, it's by far of, the most dignified. I think that I have this weird, like, I don't know if the word's dignified. I just have this obsession with, like, perfection that I think Sakamoto has. And well, uh, have you seen Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence? Long time ago. I haven't seen it recently. He's not perfect in it, but he's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> he's a pretty bad actor, isn't he? I mean, I would say so, but he's very cute. So, you know, I need to watch. Uh, I was, I I've, I watched... I've already been planning on doing a, a Christmas episode um, of uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, this year. So we'll do that in Thousand Knives of Sakamoto Ryuichi this year. That'll be cute. 
Yeah, I saw The Last Emperor, which I think he was in also, I think, a couple years ago. Right, and he um, scored it, too. Yes, incredible. Imagine scoring your own, the movies you are in. It'd be amazing. Um, oh. Are there any standout tracks on Technodelic that sit with you? Yeah, we haven't even talked about Tegokari uh, yet. True. It's Which is another staple is, of them. And well, a it's big one of the part of... best pop songs they ever wrote. Oh, for sure. And I mean, and nonetheless, it's still so bleak. It is. It's extremely. But the fact that that song, something so driving and coherent came out of this album is like really cool. Like, yes, it's really the glistening moment. Yeah, it's it's I love Tyso a lot. Um, oh, I can't. Well, there's so much to talk about in this album because that <laughs> that whole song deserves a whole podcast by itself. It's amazing. I think what well, the, I mean, because hmm? you know, you you've never been to Asia, but I had to do school here. Yes, like we had to do like the Taizo, like yeah. every every it's day. Perfect. Like I'm so accustomed to it, and like doing the morning routine, and like their cheeky little tone at it is is exactly what you said earlier when you were saying that like their earlier music was kind of like a folding the western perspective on itself but this is the kind of like asia dying like on its own and like that is one of the most upsetting moments because like i mean it sounds like kind of cute in concept and like maybe individually it's like oh it's the little exercise song but like with the rest of the record and like that album cover it sounds like a death march when they're like giving you your exercise instruction the fact that um talking heads directed the music video for that um, i mean yeah <laughs> it's just the music video is so with um sakamoto with the like bullhorn thing like being super awkward and not knowing how to look like he's yelling through a a, a horn thing is like perfect no for sure and i mean um, i just the idea of um these like cute like three little boys who just like keep referencing like radical ideology and like incorporate like two-way radios into their music That's and so uh azealia banks young rapunzel like bullhorns it's like so <laughs> perfect it's it's a it's i agree because um, i mean all of the fascinating political figures that have ever emerged from asia have all been hotties like the Japanese Red Army was, like, full of them. Like, Mao was, like, kind of cute on his own. You heard his like, voice? Yeah. His little Mickey Mouse voice? Well, it's you so know. Funny. It's so funny. The voice dies in time, but the writing lives forever. <laughs> I know, I know. And he was very charismatic. I just love when he's giving speeches. and he's He was, like, six feet tall, wasn't he? Yeah, he was extremely tall. For a Chinese man? Um, My favorite... I just... Yeah. My favorite track... Can you guess my favorite track off of Technodelic? Um, well, you told me before that you thought that Kaidan was a perfect song. I think they're but... all perfect on this. I think this is this is so that's the other thing. This is the one album where I love every single track equally. There's no there's no like throwaways. There's none that I'm just like kind of halfway about. Yeah, because I mean, especially like when stuff like uh like Tomoshibi, like uh, light and darkness yes. or whatever like comes beautiful. up, it's like it's like oh, it's so beautiful, from the crazy. Like um, I I love Keijo Ongaku. Um, of course, like, which um, you know, the thing is like so good. And I mean, that's it's a it's a really perfect like uh sort of implementation of their earlier career because like that word of course means uh how 
Japan colonized Seoul in yeah. the early 20th century, and that's the word they used to refer to them. Yep, and it's what the only line is like, the girl wouldn't, uh, an example of life in old Korea, the girl wouldn't let me take her picture. And then they like, in a distorted voice, alternate between English and Japanese, just like naming facts about J- Korea, and like, they get like bleaker and bleaker, and then the song ends. Well, which I mean, it's like, this is, um, you said earlier that, like, BGM and this are, like, kind of, like, sister albums, and, like, mm-hmm. this is totally, like, the, um, externally facing inward person, you know? Like, yes. it's, it's the person who sees the political reality and then has to, like, eat it inside of their soul, and, like, that's why I find, uh, so beautiful, is because it totally encapsulates that entire experience and puts it into a really like slow moving Mm -hmm. like sort of like ceremonial like uh, funeral procession kind of song where you have to like reconcile with like all of these like asian death fates of political activism that never succeeded and it's in a pop record it's crazy it's like this so bgm and technodelic are kind of the two or represent the two negative emotional reactions you can have to like external calamity like bgm's depressed and nihilistic and wants to die and then technodelic is like angry mm-hmm. but uh my favorite track is coal soul the final track um, oh yeah those are um the the zenso and coal soul are like both produced by sakamoto just on his own basically yes and you know, I mentioned Silent Hill earlier, but, like, that, like, factory noise, which I read was, like, actually sampled, like, from a, a factory. is yeah. like, the perfect, like, end to, like, the Maoist statement of this, like, record, basically, mm-hmm. where it's, like, kind of the proletariat, like, vocal, like, extremely provincial kind of struggle, like, exploding into this, like, useless sort of sublimity. Yeah, the, um... It's like it's a factory sound, but it also sounds like a car crash. It sounds like cars hitting each other. It sounds yes, like totally. it sounds like people dying in like machines. And the beautiful synth chord progression along with this like horribly jarring mechanical death sound is like like when the the descending crescendos kick in at the end. Um, just the notes like falling off of each other, like it's they're raining, and then because mm-hmm. they're re- they have extreme amounts of reverb applied, the notes like melt together and become really creepy and dissonant. Mm-hmm. Is it, but if you think about this song in the context of BGM, also both albums ended with like really spacey, low key, like ambient songs, which I think is interesting, which which is interesting to me. Yeah, totally. And I, I just, I think it's so fascinating that it's like we get like this like industrial like crush that's like in the middle of like cosmic space. And, you know, we mentioned Bjork earlier <laughs> and uh, we talked to, to go back to her once again. It's yeah. like she kind of was doing the same thing with her score for Dancer in the Dark, you know, mm-hmm. which has like the same kind of theme of like an individual, like loving, passionate heart that's like kind of crushed by the world around it and like honestly like i feel like technodelic is like a way more convinced as is dancer in the dark starring bjork directed by lars von Trier. like they're both like way more 
passionate, like, communist arguments than anything else that's ever been made. Yeah, I, I know. I just... The experience of this album is definitely my favorite. Totally, because the experience is, like, going to the factory, like, having to live your day-to-day life, like, being crushed by the machinery of, like, things that you have to do, and... The only, like, beauty that interrupts it is, like, cultural chanting and, <laughs> like... Again, it's the liturgy thing. It's, like, a religious thing, tone, which is an interesting... I, I don't have any of that because I'm a disenchanted, like, ex-Protestant Jewish faggot. Like, I don't... Like, the only thing I have to turn to when it comes to, like, this kind of, like, lofty view of things is, like, Shinto, basically, which is why I get so irritated when i see people like logo like being like oh like shintoism is false like orientalism is you know not real it's like okay for all of his like love of china and like his like you know stupid retarded like performative grift about all of this it's like how can you like listen to this record or like walk by a shinto shrine or like see a buddhist temple and just like not fucking feel anything it disgusts me you have to yeah honestly you have to to make the choice to feel nothing no you literally have to it's so repulsive to me because there is no way that you could like listen to the last two tracks of this like produced by sakamoto and like not experience any kind of emotion like if you like look at that like with a stone face and be like well this is like anti-jesus i'm like well you're anti-life and anti-art you're and anti-beauty. you have no artistic yeah. meaning um yeah i really th- so one of to me kind of in that vein one of the purposes of great art is like to prepare you for dying Mm-hmm. I agree. Make... And this is very funeral procedural. Yes. It's great art should make you happy. F- happy about having partaken of it to the point that you should be okay with dying for experiencing. And oh, when I. Yes. And when I hear epilogue, Cole Soul, at the end of it, I'm like, I can die. Like, I would be fine. Like it, like take me. It's fine. I'm. I. I was here to listen to this thing. That's enough. And that's because well, the whole record is like kind of this, like this, like procedural. Yeah. Representation of like what it means to be alive. Like you have to like live and like do the like Julia Kristeva tragedy of having to eat and shit every day. This yeah. is the ugliest piece of bread I've ever eaten. And then you go through like the mechanical crush of having to work, <laughs> and then you die, and you see the glimmering lights at last. That's exactly what that's I think I th- I think it's it, w- it would be easy to say that this album is the most nihilistic but I think that it is actually the hopeful response to BGM in a way. Well, I mean, it's like it's nihilistic in the way people say climaxes because like, you know, people think that climax is like some like bleak like death film or something when in fact it's like a complete celebration of like life and death because no. As No Way has said over and over again, and as I also believe, like, um, death is an experience that you only get to do once. And, like, that's, you know, striking and surreal and fabulous. Like, why shouldn't you want to, you know, ornate yourself and prepare, like, your procedural entrance into death and, like, be ready to, like, do that change of matter? Like... Uh, the the Buddhist kind of ideas of like reincarnation and like 
more specifically, like, Indian philosophy with samsara, with, like, your soul being, like, perfected, like, over time in these endless cycles. It's, like, <laughs> you know, to actually die and to finally get to enter the bliss of nothingness, like, what a de- what a delight. Like, I, oh, shouldn't our matter be excited about this? Like, that's what I get when I hear those crushing factory noises on this record. It's, I, I, I think that if Sakamoto had any one moment of genius in the entire project, it was those two. It was ending the album technodelic with those, with the epilogue and prologue. And I, it's insane. <laughs> and I, I, th- I don't, I, that was, because it's a weird album, and if you're not super familiar with YMO's music, or you haven't listened to much experimental kind of pop stuff, it would be it might be a little inaccessible. Um, it's it's more accessible than BGM, arguably. Um, but yeah, because I mean, it has a lot of the same structural similarities to like to hip hop does, because if it's like reliance on samplers. Mm-hmm. And but this was the f- only album of their stuff that I listened to and it clicked immediately and I didn't have to ask any questions. That's so funny because this was actually the album that took me the longest maybe to like deal with and swallow wholly. Yes. And like my mind would be like Solid State Survivor was probably the one. Which and is, we're, which so is we're the, we're, on the exact we're opposite sides here. <laughs> but we came, we came to the same conclusion about it. Um, do we move yeah. on to the next one? Or... Or to be yeah. Um, so I would so, say so we had the first camp era. I don't know if you could say camp, but like the the first theatrical, dramatic parody humor era. Yes, and then we get the complete final point of all of that in their next album. Yes. <laughs> is uh 1982 82 naughty boys it, which sorry i think it's 83 i have yeah. bad eyesight and i'm drunk so it's yeah, hard to read it the was, i think it currently. was like may 83 so I th- it took quite it's 83 yeah so it was like a year and a half between albums which is a big deal because their output was so rapid because they had been putting out like one or two a year basically up until now and then we get after a I don't know if you call it a hiatus from recording or whatever, but I, this is like Naughty Boys is one of the best pop albums ever released. Ever made. Ever. Totally. I, I completely agree. And the fact that it comes immediately after Techno Death, like, can we get like communist, like Maoist death hole for an entire record of like having to like reconcile with like your own existence and like looking for the key on the path and like trying to find one way to proceed that ends, and then all of a sudden you're in this, like, fake Pinkuega, like, Italian romance dream pop music perfection. It's And the cool thing about it is that 
it doesn't feel very tongue in cheek. It doesn't. No, it it's totally unironic. It's I mean, on first glance. Earnest. And there's obviously still little annoying things that they do in it. And it's, it's still totally them. But it's like they wanted to make it. They like genuinely wanted to make an album for everyone. Like, I don't know what changed because the the ethos is like markedly different well i mean did you see the video that they released for kimi ni munekun which is my favorite song from this album and Um, and the opener as well when uh it's just them standing on a bunch of pictures of themselves like snapping and doing bad dance and they're doing the like and like takahashi is the only one having a good time again um hosono looks like he would rather be killed to be doing the little dance well, he's um, also the ugliest one on the cover i know it's really funny he, and he's like all the way to the side like barely peeking in and then sakamoto well, yeah, just like the because this album one. is like a complete like bizarre tonal pivot it's like if let's say her name one more final time <laughs> on this podcast it's like if bjork like suddenly joined a girl group it's like if, if like bjork did fifth harmony but yeah. was like good at it yeah um, I'm trying to think of where I'm looking at the track list again for this one, and I'm trying to think of it's like every single track is like perfectly produced, and they're sequenced perfectly as well. Like, I mean, perfectly. It's a it's, yeah. I, I mean, it's their one like actually perfect album. Yes, I completely agree. Um, I think. Kibo no Michi is my favorite track. If I remember. Oh, I will forever die by Kimi ni Munikun. It changed my life because this was the album that like, carried me to work for about like seven months. Like I would wake up, I would take my shower and shave and I would get on my bike and go to work and I'd put this in my earbuds and I would listen to this whole record in completion every day. It's just amazing. Um, I just, Oh no, don't play expected way why what is oh it all evokes so much feeling for me like you know i said earlier that like i have a lot of strong emotions with like walking through the rice fields and like listening to the solid state survivor but like this was like the record that they carried me to work so it's like i can't listen to this and like not feel everything i felt like having to like struggle with like showing up to my stupid job every day yeah i'm like shivering a little bit having heard the melody for a second <laughs> i know um, seriously like, it, that's why i said don't play it, it like it, it Kimi, shakes me to my core this is the pop album that like pop is made for which is like pop music that sits in your core and then you can never get it out of you because when you hear it and you're somewhere it sits in that moment forever and then it's inextricable from your being it's like the Kimini Munokun is like one of the cutest songs ever made. Um, Kibo no Michi was that expected way, I think, mm-hmm. is beautifully desperate and painful. Focus is like you're sitting in the bottom of a well. Um, it has one of the most incredible, like little, like riffy things like the but like the the percussive the contrast between the percussion and the um, you'll be burning it's so good 
It's... That was uh, in my finale episode. If anyone can find it and tell me the time code, I'll give them a little treat of some sort. <laughs> um... <laughs> of season one, anyway. No, but like th- that's why I included um, music from Naughty Boys in season one of my finale is because like. I don't know, I can't even talk about this, like, critically or, like, analyze it because this music is, like, so sunk into my daily reality that I it, I can't comment on it because it's just, like, commenting on my own personality. It's, like, narcissistic. Like, it's impossible to explicate in clear language how drastic of a shift this is from their previous record and also being a perfect continuation of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I yeah it's it's uh, I don't know what happened to the band personally or who influenced it but it's almost like they reconciled their cynicism in a way between technodelic and something shifted like they're they're not about politics anymore mm-hmm. they're about just like feeling and like personal experience of like mundane things, but not analyzing them or being upset about anything. It's like, like Ongaku literally Sakamoto wrote it for his daughter. As she would like, and she still couldn't get a career. I know it's, it's one of the cutest songs in the world. Um, no, it's, it's so charming. And I love when they perform it live too, but it's like, this and BGM have kind of like the same intent, but they go about it in such totally dramatically different, different ways. Because like BGM is like so focused as well on like these like intimate moments of of the personal being, and so is this. But they go about it in different ways. Just that like a uh, BGM kind of like goes through the experimental course, and like this is like completely radio. But there's so much, like, focus and precision in it that it could never be vapid. And so it becomes immediately upon its arrival, like, kind of like the climax of all pop music. And I don't think anything since this album has reproduced that possibility. I don't... I, I, I agree completely. And it has to do something with the three separate visions of the well it wasn't it's not three there's always like eight people directly involved in every every album yeah of course there's it was something about the three main members uh vision paired with their programmer the lyricist all of the other people involved came up with like the perfect pop album like we've said i think that's the only real it's like so perfect. I feel kind of dumb talking about it because no, it's, for it's, sure. Because like, the, there's no way for anyone to be like such a powerful like cultural commentator to like be able to explicate like why this album works so well. Like the only other like bewitching act of pop music that's ever existed is Madonna's self-titled album. It's like they're very similar in the same way that they like possess that pre-natural sort of understanding of like the imagery people want to be able to use to like reframe their own existences and like cast it in a romantic way because you know if you face it at the end of the day like we don't have like the same sort of artistic experience of our own day-to-day lives like maybe like you know english people in the 18th century did where they were able to spend a lot of time at least like you know wealthy classes or like whatever like fuck off but like those people have like time and resources to sit and comment and argue about their aesthetic experiences 
And honestly, like, since that point, there's, like, been, especially in terms of music, like, very little that's tried to provide that means for the human experience. And so everything that even braces it after YMO is just kind of, like, this, like, haphazard, like, incidental sort of mistake that it was able to do that. And YMO and Madonna, for being intentional in accomplishing that goal, make them the most important records of the 80s to me. So, um, I know that you listened to the most recent episode of Andre Gentiles when we were talking about music as essentially the most pure experience of the aesthetic quality of being. Beauty, I guess you can say. Sure. Music is perfect when it needs no comment. And because I'm I'm constantly analyzing music. That's one of the, the the things I do in my free time. That's why I have it's one of the only artistic mediums about which I have anything to say at all because I focus all my energy in it. Um I really don't I think that what we've done with this album is we just gushed over it for like 30 minutes or something and then just said it's perfect. And like, that's, I don't think it needs comment. It's like, no, I mean, I think that all basically like (laughs) all of the art I talk about on my show, like honestly, it doesn't need comment. I mean, if, if I have a mission for like what I'm doing here, it's like, to represent like what something did for me mm-hmm. when I experienced Absolutely. it. So something yeah. else, fe- so somebody else like feels inspired to pursue that emotion as well, because like totally. I am privileged and lucky enough to be able to recall previous romances and think about Kimini Munakun and like thinking about like singing that at karaoke and stuff like, oh, yeah. and so many people like don't have, good art or good music to like represent their past experiences with so like in 35 years from now when they they're recalling their nostalgic memories of like what they were doing when they were like quote young unquote it's gonna be like Dua Lipa which I shit on her every episode of the show but it's like it's gonna be trash that uh has no corporeal weight but it's like YMO does like yes. Naughty Boys has weight, and it's still called Naughty Boys, and it still has a video of <laughs> them the like dorkiest music video of all time. Like, it's well, a- yeah, because like they're not a boy band, like they just merely aren't, but like they perform the role so well because they're so fucking articulate and so aware of cultural processes that when they actually like go through the work of doing it, it sounds fucking amazing. It's awesome. Like it's almost like that music video invented vaporwave. In a yes. way. Like it's it's from that yes. case, it's it it invented that aesthetic. It's like I can't. Yeah, it was one of the first videos to look like that. Do you know how many comments I've read like in my like little research for this like on YMO videos who are like, oh, I remember hearing this and I could never get the song out of my head, but I never knew what it was called. I just found it again for the first time in twenty five years. Thank you so much. It's like this music latches to your experience and refuses to let go in some ways this is their most fascist album because it like refuses to give any concessions and insists upon its emotional viewpoint of uh, sublime sexuality and and beautiful experience and gives you nothing else out of it there's no negative answer or like fear of death it's only the extremely henry james beautiful 
have a fucked up time while you're alive and get beauty out of it. And this is like literally one of the most perfect albums that's ever existed to me because of it. It, it, <sighs> it makes me feel the same. Like if you're at a funeral or something and like the lone bagpiper plays Amazing Grace or something and like you just have nothing to say after you're done done listening. It does the same. It has like the same all like borderline religious ascension effect on me and it's like i I say technodelic's my favorite but i think it's both of these for different reasons Mm -hmm. um like wild ambitions is literally the perfect closing song for an album absolutely Um, just that low-key groove life's cool life's good have a good time we're done kind of thing um, and speaking of we're done, should we talk about service really quick? Which is annoying which was, because yeah, we just annoying. had a transcendent discussion of the best pop album ever made. Yeah, and, and now we have to talk about service. But before <laughs> we get into that and uh, something much better, yeah. I'm going to have a cigarette and uh, use the restroom. How about that? <laughs> right. I'll be here. <laughs> We're we're getting close to the end here. Um, the the sun is rising over Shinjuku. I've never seen a sunrise from my apartment actually, so that's nice. That was really beautiful, and I saw the first trains go by, so. Uh, subway uh, noises have resumed. The sun is up. The light is pink, and we're about to get into my least favorite YMO album. I don't really think there's much to say about it. I, well, I, I mean, it's an EP, basically. Well, it has it does the same thing of like alternating music and comedy sketches, but the comedy sketches to me don't hit as well. They're also in Japanese. They're in Japanese, and it's like they're. The parody isn't there as much, and it just kind of, I don't know. The music just comes up. It's like they tried to revert to the parody thing from the original albums. I don't know if it's because they didn't know what else to do or what. I mean, I I don't hate the music on this record. Like, it has, like, no, I mean, it's all the music is wonderful. Like, Chinese Whispers and... Um, I actually prefer the European version that doesn't have the sketches on it. Um, That's what I've listened I, to. I've only listened to the sketches. Just I just, yeah, I just, it's exhausting. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've listened to the sketches like probably like six or seven times now. I This is the album I go back to by far the least. Um, and I mean, there are, there's music that they go back to and there are like live performances and what have you, but like, the overall effect of it is, like you said, it's a quite regressive. And it makes me like wonder, like, why does this album exist? Especially considering, as I will bring up again, because I think album artwork is critical. Like, this has um, actually some of like my favorite, like, kind of, like, shocking imagery for their records, which is just, like, the painted on head with, like, the uh, really beautiful, like, Comme des Garçons, like, type front on it. And, like, what's going on here? I don't know. I 
it to me in having spent time listening to both this band and like many others in as much detail as I'd like to think I have um it just doesn't seem like they had any idea what they were doing anymore. That doesn't mean that they they don't they don't know what they're doing in the way that like they're not skilled, which obviously they are. And every song on here right. is still a good song, but they're I don't want to say formulaic, but they're just they totally lack any of the subversive YMO DNA, and it just comes off as kind of corny. I I agree. I I find the listening experience to be pretty weak. It's and... well, it's just boring. It's a boring album, and it's like <clears throat> it's it's totally unoffensive. Well, think about literally everything else that we've gone through so far. Every single record we've spent like at least like a half hour like going into detail about it because all of them have like such like deep thematic statements, and like this like really feels like them like putting out what they have left because they know it's about to end. And so in that sense, I kind of like the record in like a death way because it does like feel like someone like spittering out their last words and like choking and like they're, they're like their, their wrist like cranked this way. It it proves yet again that they're more self-aware than almost any other band on the planet ever Mm -hmm. was because they knew they were done. They like, Mm -hmm. it's like, you can say that this album sounds like a band that's ready to quit, but you can't say that they weren't aware themselves. Like they, well, cause you can't say they didn't quit cause they did. They after did. This, basically. And it's like, this is just kind of the last thing. Um, or the last, I mean, there's obviously there's Technodon 93 and stuff, but like, it's not what we're discussing, but, um, right. Um, it's just a, I wish that the goodbye album was better. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, the thing that, you know, lessens the blow of this like kind of being like a bore is that it's not really the end. Like the true end is like the movie that yes. we're going to talk about, yes. but like this really does like feel like them just like putting out it's an EP honestly that's like mislabeled as a as an album in my opinion. It's because of the it's this... because of the sketches dad. The songs, the songs on this one—it's half—it's a half half hour. The songs on this one are also markedly kind of shorter than the other albums. None Um, of them have kind of the subversive, like offensive punch that you said. Like even like Naughty Boys, like feels like kind of offensive, like for being so brazenly pop after their like kind of like art house experience that they provided beforehand but like this is like it's not controversially pop it's like not shockingly offensive and the kind of like manzai-esque bits that they do for the comedy are like all like pretty as they come i guess like (laughs) one thing i could say is that like i like that they like reference their earlier work by like doing that format again and it, it feels nice that they, they like close with that referential note but i yes. it just doesn't feel for me so much well yeah and it's like it it does say something that i can it's i think it's a bad album but i'm not mad about it. like i'm not mad that i mean i don't even think it's bad i, I mean no, it's i like, think it's I, I think it's not it's technically not bad you're correct i mean yeah but, by their standards it's 
horse shit, it's but like, like by the rest of the world, it's like gold, like gold and silk, basically. Like, like it's it's perfect for what it is, but like it, it's a boar and a slog, and like totally don't care about it. I mean, okay, I I've never like you know tried to like character characterize myself as like a music critic, so I'm like hoping that like no one is like oh, you totally missed the point, but it's like. I don't think I there's a lot the of po- point because you've gotten yeah. it right about everything else. Like, I don't think that it just, it yeah, just that's exactly is... what I was going to say. It's like, I felt point about everything else. I just like, I don't feel as much here. So should we just talk about the movie already? Yeah, that's a man's service. 1983. It was also I mean... recorded in a month. It was like, this one was, re- which is to, it tells you that they have all this material. They just, for some reason needed to put out on a thing. I don't know if it was a contract they signed with a record where they had to put out like a certain number of albums. Cause I know that certain record deals do that. I have no clue, but it's like fine. No, totally. <laughs> and I mean, the other thing about it is that it's like, if that were the case, it totally makes sense because of the length of it. And it's, it literally is an EP in my brain and will always be considered that way because like, that's how I view well, it. The European and version I... was like 30 minutes it's like exactly three yeah no totally long. it's like i don't have any qualms against it because i don't like really think it's like them trying to make yeah. a final artistic statement because i know that they wanted to do that and then they did so this is kind of just like um, the and you have to make a the comment. thing that's there that i have to like you know so uh, everything else is perfect like literally like i i said this in the beginning of the first episode but like YMO like goes through every thing that has ever crossed my paths in terms of aesthetic interests, which is like Japanese men, okay, check, like Maoism and radical like leftist Asian politics, fascist like, check. aesthetics. Like, yes, like kitsch, like vapor wave. If you want to say such a retarded word as that, like it, it basically like sees like the ephemera of all electronic culture it realizes that through broken asian stereotypes and then doubles down on it and makes them real and um it does not leave us with service but in in fact leaves us with um one final filmic statement and that filmic statement is is propaganda propaganda a ymo film So I watched it when you first sent it to me a couple months ago, and then I watched it last night, and then I went to sleep. Um, and when we were talking about how my comments I, I wanted to share about YMO music were poisoning me <laughs> um, over time, <laughs> because it was like, you know, like, 
the longer they sat there unexpressed, they just, like, killed me more and more. I... Something happened when I watched this again last night. And the other comment that I think is worth making is, again, I said I'm not a film person, but you tricked me into film commentary by picking a band to discuss. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was, like, watching this, and I was like, I'm about to do film commentary, and I've said multiple times that's not a thing I do. So, like, I... But I really, really... It's, like, one of my favorite things I've ever watched. Oh, I mean, it's incredible. It is. And, uh, you know, for context, what it is, is it's um, a uh, filmed concert, like, you know, in the way that, you know, Michael Jackson or, like, Talking Heads, like, did, like, you know, concert films or whatever. It's similar to that, but the big thing that sets it apart is that it has an interstitial, surreal narrative that... um is played with and against the scenes of YMO performing that kind of lends the thematic weight to the movie. It has, to my knowledge, never been translated into English, but there are like about four and a half lines of spoken I was say, Japanese there's actually, dialogue. There's two moments where there's Japanese. It's right at the beginning, right at the end. Right at the end, right. So it's like, if you don't get that, like, it's not really gonna, it's not gonna really fuck your life up. What it really is... I mean, they're good lines, so they're they're good to enjoy, but, like, it's, you can watch it as a non-Japanese speaker and totally... Oh, absolutely, because, I mean, I I even am an advocate for seeing movies in which you can't understand the language. Like, I just saw Ghost in the Shell in IMAX last uh, Saturday where they are using the most difficult Japanese vocabulary yeah, I've so ever heard in a motion machinery picture. words and like engineering talk and stuff. Oh, and like government <laughs> jargon. It's like, oh, like the American ambassador. I'm like, I know how to like tell my boyfriend that I'm mad at him because he didn't like give me enough compliments. I like don't know how to talk about like cybernetic frameworks. So, but nonetheless, <laughs> I cried in the theater. I was, like, openly, like, weeping, like, by myself in the theater because I was, like, so moved by the imagery and the tone. And that's, like, really what's special to me about, you know, music and film is that regardless of your, like, literal comprehension, if you have an acknowledgement of the feeling and, like, what it's emotionally provoking in you, you can understand art. It doesn't matter if you know the plot of it, which is... The same thing that people do to Twin Peaks all the time, and especially The Return. It's like, oh, I don't understand every single precise mechanics of every little action that's going on here, so I can't enjoy it. It's like, no, that's, like, not the point. It's like, you can see it and feel something. Or, if you want to, you can go do the autistic research and, like, read three books about it, which is, like, what I ended up doing with both Twin Peaks and Evangelion. But propaganda is very much, like, the the antithesis to that it's like letting you experience music imagery and like physical sensation and then leaving you with that and offering nothing else i'm um i actually psychoanalyzed the entire thing (laughs) as i was watching is that what your 12 pages of notes are it's it's literally like jungian it's really really good i don't know who wrote it i don't know who directed it i don't i don't um i gotta look i'm looking it up i do too i'm looking it up now it's none of them no 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 propaganda one give me that give me that are you kidding it's not there's not even like a wikipedia article about it 
No, you you it's almost it's uh, directed by Sato Makoto is his name. I who that uh, is. and he, what else has he directed? Probably not much else. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's just, it's so directed... strange that it's Saito Makoto Sato. What else has he done? He There's also... like a, one other thing, literally one other thing. Yeah, that's so because it's so good. It's oh, so, I mean, it's perfect. It's a perfect. Oh, by the the other thing he directed was the filmed concert video of YMO performing at Budokan in nineteen eighty three. So, which is also very good, and that's that's another. It's not nearly as like historically significant as the nineteen eighty Budokan appearance, um, but it's still an amazing watch. Um, Mm-hmm. So I still recommend that to people because it's good. and it, it includes a lot of like, like Naughty Boys stuff and BGM, which is like cool to see live. Right. Also. And if I may, if I may say so, if I may say so myself, I feel like we did a really excellent job at kind of like summarizing their stage presence. Um, you know, before this kind of stuff happens, because there's so much of their like stage essence in this film, but like, um. This director, yeah. Makoto Sato, whoever you are, <laughs> don't know, but like, I mean, he gets like what YMO is like doing, and the filmic bits of them performing um, are perfect, and then the interim scenes, which kind of like casts like each of the three members as like sages to like this like young boy in like this uh sort of, like, politically tumultuous, like, kind of empty Tokyo. So... They're perfect. The thesis of the film, to me, is a warning... or is warning people against what happens when you let children further a young culture go completely unsupervised. Um... Mm -hmm. Because the thing opens and you have this... It's every shot is, like, beautiful. You He comes out of the shadows from under the bridge with his posters and his bucket of whatever glue stuff they use to stick it to stuff. And he goes back into the shadows and he's just going around and posting all of these posters with a little narration by the woman. Um, and then he stops and he literally falls quote unquote falls through the cracks and finds the fascists like that. The, the imagery is like almost comedically on the nose the entire time. Like the child running around unsupervised with his fascist, like his, his posters literally falls through the cracks and finds essentially a monument to fascism, which was the, the design for the, the, the stage. final YMO tour, yeah. The stage, just that's that 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 scene when he's on the beach and he goes up on the. What was this? The shoe. Okay, we should probably explain. Okay, okay. So what happened? Pl- so, what is the shoe? So so I mean, the, he the, finds the stage and he goes up on the I mean, stage. The, I mean, more generally, it's like, what is this movie? It's like, I you know we we've mentioned it's like pieces of the concert plus yes. like uh filmic representations but it's uh basically a child like maneuvering through uh both like ancient and contemporary like japanese scenes and in the midst of this politics 
and then like destruction at the end. So in in the middle of this, like where you're going, is like there's a lot of image. The three members like appear to him during like these like the the little boy like during these interstitial moments, and I think the first one is Takahashi, right? Yes, it's Takahashi. So there's this there's two women figures. There's the like beautiful, elegant, perfectly manicured sinister female presence and then there's like the prostitute disheveled presence who's actually the benevolent figure right which is very interesting but that the, the scene with takahashi is takahashi is there's the there's horse. two yes the the horse that was beautiful i don't know whose idea that was so takahashi is standing staring at the wall having visions of some ballet dancers in a past life or something while the woman is like having her way with the makeup brush on the kid. And there's like this weird metaphor for neglect, like fatherly neglect. I don't, it's very, cause the, the next scene is like, he's playing chess with the woman. The child is, and Takahashi's watching the child contend with the sinister feminine yeah, figure I'm like, I'm through like, the TV. Yeah, I'm like kind of like the radio speaker that you would imagine like is like what's showing up on like Technodelic. Like what what's um interesting to me is that like throughout their career like YMO has always been like been picking up on like their members' own music from their solo careers or has been like using like the same kind of like melodic motifs. Like it's it's very operatic in that way. And this movie kind of seems to be referencing a lot of, like, the thematic ideas of their music in a way that's, like, never concrete or directly spoken, even if maybe some of it might seem a little obvious. So it's, like, we have, like, the first two albums, like, Solid State Survivor, and we have, you know, Self-Titled, and we have, like, the kid, like, futilely like trying to like glue the posters to the wall and then like he falls through the cracks and like goes like straight into bgm where like takahashi is like watching these like ballet dancers like that we get from that song that are like in this like empty routine that they're all like all forced to watch and do this meaningless routine of like putting on makeup in front of a horse submerged in water yeah i mean like how do you talk about this like i don't even know it's like so i'm i'm having I don't know what about the... I'm normally not a film guy, but something about having the music I'd experienced for so long juxtaposed onto the imagery of the film, like, made the film mean something that it maybe wouldn't if it didn't understand the music. Oh, my like, God. I mean, can you imagine, like, watching this without, like, knowing every album they've ever made? Yeah, or, it like, would anything not make about any sense them at all? Me. You're like, who's this guy with the mustache staring at the wall? Like, what's the... I really liked, I loved the, so it really seems like that it's just, it's a child desperate for order and the, the, the adorable scene in the, like, the, like botanical garden with Sakamoto. Oh where yeah. In the when a Sakamoto appears and is like, like the old lusty, like Thomas Hardy, like yes. proletariat member, like towing him around in the truck and stuff. With the woman who is now not paying attention to the boy is just kind of sitting there with a book and stuff. I think it was Ongaku was the song that played. I wanted to make sure I remember the songs that accompany each scene, but, um, it's like he has this beautiful idyllic life with a father figure and then the father kisses the woman goodbye and then like 
it's night and the lights shut off and the boys will and it's just like it's there's so it's so he, the boy is so neglected and alone the entire time like that's the theme like when Hoso well I mean like when he has like the literally that single moment of like when Sakamoto is like kind of like saving him in the bohemian botanical garden my god this entire episode has been like a battle of me versus words but in any case like when that ends like he's like left in the slut dungeon yeah what so yeah he he, this shinto slut dungeon that was an intense i mean he's carrying the fishbowl around <laughs> the boy has this like bowl of fish that he's trying to figure out what to do with while he's watching. It's just him. like you say all of these things and it's like they don't uh, describing like any plot of it is like so worth it because it's, but it's like, because it's like a dream. Like they they shot they filmed mm-hmm. a dream. Like it's all archetypal dream imagery, right? Which is like kind of like how their music like has like situated with me is like not in any way where it's like I'm like prescribing some specific like political meaning to it but it's like an emotional like faux reality that like just is floating around me at all times um trying to think if there's anything about that there was this constant high heel shoes okay the shoes i don't know what they mean i because (laughs) so he's carrying the blue one around and then the sinister woman has it and then he has it again and he's just had like there's constantly this blue high heel pump that he's just walking around with and then he finds the he finally gets into the back room on the stage which again isn't going to make any sense to anybody but we're talking about it for our own sake right <laughs> he gets into the back <laughs> room he us. gets into the back room and the benevolent it's the benevolent mother figure prostitute is looking at him through two-way glass and you know she he knows she's there but he can't she's separated herself from him in a way that she can't see her and then he finds like the giant pile of shoes and he's obviously oh, he's obviously upset by them. something about the shoes is not a good thing i don't something about the shoes is bad <laughs> um like takahashi like holds the shoes and is like flustered by them at one point i just you know, I can't describe any... I'm I'm sure there's, like, specific meaning to all these things. And I've seen the movie, like, maybe three or four times already. And I still have, like, no commentary to offer about the shoes. But it is, like, kind of this, like, um grand narrative of the loss of innocence. Where, yes. like, you go from full-heartedly believing in Asian activism that's going to, like, rescue you from the proletariat. And, like, elevate you to something beautiful. And then you end up in like postmodern chess hell that leads to nothing but slutting in fishbowls. And it's yeah. like, you know, if you get out of the specifics of the imagery and, you know, more to the tone, I mean, I was for probably the bulk of my viewing experiences, I've always been like really like upset and uncomfortable watching all of these. It's a lot. I really, really. I mean, even like the Ongaku moment, which is like such a you know well, it's, track. It's, it's like, obviously it... a facade. It's obviously not of course. Real. It's obviously a dream. It's obviously an ideal. Yeah, because like exist. how many minutes did you spend like watching people like trounce around inside like some like industrial sewer and like having like fake makeup put on them? Um, I mean, maybe I should like try to make the argument that this is like a a a based red pilled like 
anti-trans trend. I'm just kidding, but you know what I, I mean. I think there's an I think there is an anti-feminization of men or thing. Absolutely, because I, you know the boy I washes the, the, the jokey makeup point, off but it's true. It's and I do, but I don't think that, I think it's a because there's a way to be to like present the feminine in a very masculine way. Um, and I think that I, I, I don't want to say it, it. Obviously it's not sexist cause they're YMO. There's nothing, there's no trace of that. <laughs> um, but it's very pro it's both. I don't know if it's like pro tradition. It's very Japanist, you know, it's very like mm-hmm. return. Well, cause to, I mean like return to tradition imagery of. is like so strong there's like sunken like tori shrines and like the flag and the the, the pasting Nazi, up the of Nazi political flags and stuff yeah i mean yeah that's quite traditional as well <laughs> it? but it's like the other thing know, like the every mm. every male character that is sinister or in some way villainous is dressed in like very postmodernly or like a fascist Every benevolent mm-hmm. male figure is dressed like they're from like the 1920s, right? Which is very. So before we get to the end of the movie, what do you think about like YMO's presence in this? Like, um, outside of like the interstitial bits, like when they're performing and like the stage is rising, it's like, oh what... my god, was it in Kaiko, where the mm-hmm. stages where the like pillars rose out of the stage? Yeah, I what, literally. What does... If I were there in person, kill me in that moment. It would be fine. Oh, my God. Because, you know, all the Japanese people in the audience were sitting down. Yes, I know. <laughs> I would have been standing up and running. I would have been sprinting. <laughs> sprinting and clambering. All around. Takahashi, yeah. take me. <laughs> to, to heaven. You're, they're transcending. Um, he aged so well, by the way. He looks He looks really nice. They all look really good now, except for Hosono. Hosono literally also. looks like a, like a pig, man. It's yeah, so... I mean, he just like looks kind of like toadish, well, but I mean... I think it's, it's not toadish. He looks like a toad. Like, he's... He got, <laughs> I was he trying got to be dumpier. kind. He got dumpier. He's cute. He's, he looks nice. He looks like a nice old man, but he's like not... I mean, I'm sure he's lovely. I feel like it was probably uh, Sakamoto causing the drama in the group, honestly. I'm sure he's like really affable oh, Sakamoto's and like, good the nature. Sakamoto's the total diva. Oh, yeah, because I mean, like, okay, in, for instance, like, in the performance bits from this movie with his makeup on, oh, yeah. when he is playing his keyboards and, like, looking over to Takahashi, he looks like a total fucking cut. I love it. I love him so much. Like, when he's doing I know, his he, solo he's stuff, a diva. and he does this, like, head thing when he's playing, and he, th- head he thinks thing. he's so good, and he's... <laughs> it's so... Yeah, and then he, like... When they're doing the key song from uh, Technodelic, like, yes. uh, oh, I can't remember the name right now. I've had enough drinks. But it's, like, when they, when uh, Sakamoto and Hosono, like, look at, like, Takahashi, and like, point. during that. And you can so see that Sakamoto is, like, doing his little, like, bit. Like, he's doing his role. It's beautiful. I love it. Is that the one where they're they were pointing? They're performing the boy band. Is that where they were pointing fascists. at each other? There was one where they, like, yes. kept pointing at Takahashi. That's it. It's beautiful. Um... Yeah, I'll spare. I have so much to say about the imagery of the film. Um, so really quick, last imagery thing. So when they're all the fascists apparently exist in the destroyed, empty, abandoned buildings. Mm-hmm. When they go all the way up to the top window in that little tower thing, and they drop all the wine glasses out the window. 
Oh yeah, that and was. There, I actually like rewatched that scene when I was uh, reviewing this, and they, they timed the glasses for like when they would hit the ground to make the breaking sound effect, which I thought was delightful. It was very cute, but like that—that that was the most unsettling thing to me. Oh, totally. There was like that's the most sinister moment of the whole thing for the wine glass dropping, and it's odd because it, there's nothing sinister on its face, but there's something. Mm-hmm evil about it <laughs> i mean with the woman doing it i mean i just like love that there's like no concrete answer to this because yeah. i mean my my they probably don't interpreting... remember mm. they probably don't remember they, they i don't... mean none of them directed or wrote it either yeah, they so care. they definitely it's yeah. not preserved they obviously don't care that it be pre- is preserved or not Sakamoto had cancer and Takahashi had brain surgery last year. Like, I'm sure that, like, somewhere in the deep recesses of their minds, like, they have, like, a clear, like, idea of, like, what was going on here. But, like, they have done so much more since YMO happened. Like, there's no way that, like, this m- movie that they did that um I think, like, probably, like, maybe a total of, like, tops 2,000 Westerners have ever seen. It's, like... <laughs> True. Yeah, it's and it's. Almost I mean, seriously, like like, that YouTube the... video had three thousand fucking views. Does it really only have three thousand? No, I'm serious. It's like three thousand or less, maybe four. Wow, I feel like I'm in the in crowd. Um, yeah, four thousand. That's crazy. And it's like the one YouTube upload of it too. Well, um, I mean, apparently there was one before, and I imagine that maybe had like sixty thousand or something. But it's like this enormous artistic statement from them is like relegated to like youtube bin garbage where it's like oh ymo performing live at their last concert i'm like that's not what this is this is a film this is propaganda a ymo film yes it's i'll probably watch it again today like I, i'll probably watch it every day for like a week before i get tired of it for now. but um i i mean the thing that's really special about it is it's quite like a music video because it basically is it is it's, and it so, totally is and each little vignette is like the song's own music video that all kind of right because the the visual presence of ymo is honestly like pretty weak in compare i mean they didn't have mtv yet so of course it like, oh, wasn't course, gonna yeah. you know they didn't but the fact that they were able to still creatively like create this like filmic project like before like MTV had really taken hold as a kind of like a testament again to like their foresight. And regardless of if you can like decode every image or you can spend a lot of time doing it, which I'm sure like probably like maybe like 20 people have, including residents of Japan. It's like, I'll start a sub stack about it. Yeah. I I mean, I have a, I have a total (laughs) (laughs) film. I have like a, I have like a total takeaway of this, you know, I like felt like sick to my gut watching it because I felt like, enormous processes of culture were like annihilating innocence in some way Mm -hmm. and that's you know what counts for me and the way the movie ends is with the little boy destroying ymo and throwing a molotov cocktail at their you know fascist castle well he thought he throws it at like the little sunken shinto shrine thing right and then the fire trails to ymo so the what the, it's it's during Technopolis was the was the song that immediately transitions to Firecracker as soon as the stage starts burning, which is like crazy because like both of those are like two of their most like popular you know Japonism songs. Yeah. It's you know it's like they're like Tokyo and then it's like the cover of a song that existed in the fifties about you know the 
okay, we're this deep into the episode. I can say the Ching Chong Chopstick mu- music. It's like it, yeah. that's like that racist like element that they're doing. You yeah. know? Yeah. And I remember last night. And I mean, the first time I watched it, it didn't hit me as hard. But this the second time last night, I was totally awash in the fact that they were liter they literally made a feature film that was released all over Japan and burnt an effigy of their own project to their most famous song and it was over like they and they had already decided they were done and the the send off was they burnt a monument to their project <laughs> Like so, what do you think this means? Like, um, especially considering stuff like Naughty Boys towards the end of their career, and then this filmic project where they decide to, uh, through means of Japanese culturalism in Shinto, like through the Tori Gates, like they decide to burn the effigy of themselves. Like, what do you take away from this as a total end to their artistic project? Um. So what happens? So it burns. It's a spectacular scene of the building burning. Um, and then the like YMO golden statue flame shaped thing falls off the top at the end. And then it's just like an image of the burnt stage. And then an image of the beach immediately after that pans over and the YMO statue is stuck in the sand. Like it's been forever since the stage burned. And that the only thing left is this one last golden relic of YMO. And the child finds it, you know, the woman standing next to it, like, the child, right, like, comes up to it, and then right before he leaves, he pulls his eye down and sticks his tongue out, and then runs away. And it was like, they burned YMO, but YMO will always be forever, but also, mm-hmm. screw you for listening to it, haha, bye. Like, it's, <laughs> it's so... Ama- I I was literally in awe for like the last five minutes. No, like to, I totally agree. Like, um, to me, it's like kind of the same thing with like all of like these like Asian like far radicalist parties. It's like these things didn't amount to anything material, but like the emotional memory of it remains, and these concepts have you know, always existed since the dawn of Japanese time, like, since, like, Itazumi, like, births, like, Mie or whatever, like, all of these ideas and, like, concepts about culture have been here forever, and it just, you know, this band degrouping and ending and being set aflame, like, the notions of what they've been talking about in these ancient cliches that will endure until we're all dead, like, we're gonna hear the fucking panda express like chopstick music until we're dead like all of this will always be here you know and to burn their individuality to kind of recognize that irrefutable truth i think is one of the most like debasing humiliating and perfect moves for an artist um i I, I mean debasing and humiliating in the best way because that's all i do for myself anyway yes no i know what you mean um it's the I think it's obvious on its face and everybody would say that like the best thing an artist can do is die for their work Mm -hmm. and something about YMO burning itself in front of the entire nation was like they killed it they decided it died in this 
glorious fashion. Like, I can't think of another artist. Who, I mean... <laughs> The only the closest thing is Kanye, honestly, and I mean, yeah, I think, yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that Donda is fine. Uh, I like the album. I enjoyed listening to it. I think the spectacle and like fame artistics that he pioneered behind it are like much more fascinating. And uh, him reassembling his house and like remarrying his separated wife is like quite similar to like the kind of theatrics that like YMO is performing here and I think that like Kanye who is definitely like irrefutably like influenced by like what they've done whether he knows it or not I mean he seems like to be the only through line from this yeah I mean if not if not only him there's like we don't know anybody else like I can't it's at, at this point I'm almost like out of words to even I can't even articulate the thought in that like it was this strange cause like you know how like East Asia like Korean like K-pop bands do it all the time Japanese they do like a little like um you've seen the um the like final number girl concert video mm-hmm. the same kind of like they always go out with like an incredibly emotional celebration of the work they did. Oh yeah, like all the idols who graduate, like uh, they'll like write their final song and they they wear like this like beautiful yeah. like white basically wedding dress to their graduation. It's like it's very that they have a, a knack for closure. And I I have to date not seen a more spectacular closure of because they knew it was done like you hear service you know it's done and then they put this movie out and it literally says it's like ymo born this date died this date that's the last screen before the credits yeah and they characterize themselves throughout the whole movie as a fascist regime and like make like alters to like their image and like what they mean and it's like um, maybe it seems like self-aggrandizing, but at one point, like this band was like selling the most records in Japan, and like even if they hadn't been, even if they hadn't been in the top ten or the top hundred, even if they had been nothing, it's like to be able to like manifest your own artistic existence and then execute it. So it's like that. Um, that articulately, it's incredible. That it's the Mishima suicide all over again. It's yeah, um, the scene or the the setting where the boys like the little chairman of the party canvassing place and there's the big like cool like juxtaposed portrait of them behind the desk with all the flags i was exactly thinking of and that, that how that that's not their perception of themselves it's almost a parody of everyone's respect for them it's yes it's a it's a this is what you guys made us and now we're burning it down because we're done yeah, I literally think Kim Kardashian is the only person who's capable of like following this up, basically. Yeah, I, I, it's it, at the because I what I'd spent like, again five six weeks, listening to YMO albums front to back in order nonstop, and then to I see w- it crushed at, at <laughs> yes, the end and is I just, punishing. I literally like almost wept last night. I was, I just couldn't even. My jaw was open, dropped the whole time. And then it was like, and then the boy sticks his tongue out at me and runs away. I was like, oh my God. Like, you're. 
the, the self-titled album never ends. Like that, <laughs> that, it never it never stops. Like the bleep bloop, like fucking Space Invaders music will never stop. Like I just, you know, we're sitting here after talking about YMO for five hours, literally. We've seen them like burn their own effigy. Like we, I have told you about like crying, listening to their music, like staring up at the power lines. Like you told me about being on the edge of tears, like watching them sacrifice their own image. Um, the only thing I really have to ask is like, what did you get out of experiencing Yellow Magic Orchestra? Um, I, it, it, it it's like any great art that I enjoy or that moves me. Um, another example that I feel the same way that book I told you about the, the to live by Yu Hua. Right. When I read that, it was like, you don't feel worthy of living to have experienced it. Mm-hmm. It's like, why on earth am I enough to have like partaken of this artistic endeavor in a way? That's how I felt last night. It's like, I couldn't even sleep. I was like, I was out of my body just like this is a this is it like something about recording this conversation is like the end of an era in a way of like a part of my life that i spent like just totally obsessed with a one artistic one group like small group of people's artistic vision that they realized more perfectly than almost anyone else that's ever lived like absolutely i mean I feel the same way. So, like, so what I got out of it is I am, I am yet again, a degree more okay with dying. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I agree. It's like, that's what all art should do is like, help you recognize the sublimity in your daily existence. That is, you know, clearly trite and upsetting and a slave to political movements that are beyond yourself and work cultures that punish you for existing. But you got to live and like you got to see like the beautiful flames as a 20 gate on fire and <laughs> yeah. you got to see Susie Wong one time like <laughs> that was her I mean you did and it's like it's a big you know racist cliche but like you did it one time and it, it was everything to you and you know I sit here the sky is totally blue now the trains are going by and it's like I don't want to go to work tomorrow like but I get to, I get to go to work and I get to ride the train to work. And for the last three weeks, I've been like reflecting on like Tokyo and Japanese art. And it's just like, I know that like, there's going to be another day and there's going to be another chance to experience something shocking and abject and sublime. And the word that I liked that you use is that you get to go to work. It's, I don't think people understand. Like, the thing that great art should do is help you to understand that everything you do, you get to do. Right, because like, millions of tiny little particles have accumulated to give you this existence. Yes. Like, even the worst, like, Twin Peaks, like, drug rape in the forest kind of disaster. It's like, you got to do that. Like, yeah, you... you got to subjectively experience that. And all of their music, and I, I hope that we kind of were able to describe this quality all of it in its evocations of orientalism and in its processing of ancient stereotypes and its movement through those 
all of that passage has given me like this molecular understanding of like the beauty of being alive yes that's the I minute mean, again we've said it before it's like that's what art is supposed to do and like anytime i hear any of these tracks it's like oh well i get to listen to this again. like i get to i get to hear the annoying little beep boop robot jumping sounds i like it's that's the but I think that the the special thing about Yellow Magic Orchestra that they very very few artists were ever able to accomplish is to be as successful as they were and as influential and be able to let it go. I know we we commented on that earlier. I don't know if it was this half or the other half, but like they literally gave interviews and people are like, "What do you care about your legacy?" and they're like, "I don't at all." None of them do. And it's like, how can you get three very different personalities together in the same room, the same project with their entourage, and no one cares that anybody remembers? Yeah. No, I, it's beautiful. I mean, I'm obsessed with being remembered, and I. That's because everybody is. Fame. Like, everybody's obsessed with. Yeah. And it's like, we have like three. It's like, we have like three modern Buddhas, like, sitting together <laughs> making, like, like pop m mall music, and then just giving that to people and saying no fuck you we're gonna burn it down and like you're just left with your like little ephemeral memories of it and that's you know all it is and it's like i'm i'm really glad that i <laughs> i own solid state survivor on final because at least i have like physical <laughs> proof that i felt this in some way i try to retcon it later for the fascist uh, imagery and stuff no i mean i'll be the fascist leader in charge i'm gonna be the, the mannequin doll and i'm going to demolish all gyms and I am going to make everybody listen to YMO on headphones that are drilled into their skulls. <laughs>